Welcome to the Hack My Solar Podcast, providing off-grid solutions to an on-grid world. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Hack My Solar Podcast. This is Sean Mills, and today we're going to be taking a little bit of a deep dive into a subject that we've touched on briefly before, which is when does off-grid solar make sense from a financial perspective? So we evaluate the different options that we have. Uh, Maybe we really take a look and say, you know, off-grid, it's not the easiest life to live, but perhaps it provides us with some self-sufficiency things that we really like, or we have other goals that are tied to uh, things that off-grid allows us to get much closer to. So we have to take the step back and say, all right, from a logical standpoint, from a fact-based standpoint, when does it make sense? Um, if you have the, the capital and you just want to do it, I mean, you can have a pretty elaborate system that ends up being very expensive. Uh, if, if you're not in it to, to make financial sense, there's lots of people with solar panels on their house that didn't do the math, that did it because it was sexy or because they wanted to look cool for their neighbors and they'll never get a payback because they didn't do the work on the front end. So that's kind of what we're going to evaluate today and specifically from an off-grid perspective. Later on we may talk more about this subject as it relates to being on the grid, uh, but specifically we're going to talk about off the grid. And one of the reasons why we're going to focus on the off the grid piece of the discussion today is because it allows you a lot more freedom in terms of how your system is designed, how your system is installed, and what you do with it after the fact. Whereas a grid-tied system, you know, typically you're working with a local municipality, so you've got their rules. There may also be a power generation company because the retail company and the generation company are typically not the same people. So you've got to deal with that. You might have local or county ordinances that you have to comply with and you might also have state laws that you have to comply with so you've got to jump through all of those hurdles for an on-grid system and and rightly so you're connecting to their grid but when you don't when you're looking at an off-grid system where you're not going to be connected to their grid you do have a lot more freedom I've talked about before our system which we live on every day and have for the last six years Uh, We did take a small hiatus up to uh, Indiana for some work, but even then we were coming back down regularly. Um, That system cost us $8,000 to put in, and I could actually do that same system cheaper today than I did then uh, because the cost of several of the components has actually come down a decent amount, particularly the panels themselves. But so let's, let's get into this. So the most obvious way that going off-grid from a energy's perspective makes financial sense is if you have access to buy a property that has no grid tied to it um, and there's no option for a grid to be tied to it so you're far enough out into the boonies where you know there there's just not there's not a grid in the area that you can get access to those properties are typically very very cost-effective um, compared to their grid tied counterparts and I'm talking on the order of you know as low as 25% of a comparable house 
in the city. Um, and some of these, it's interesting, one of the things we have to evaluate when we talk about going off grid is, okay, well, how do we earn our money? Perhaps we have already worked and saved and, and we just have a big nest egg and that's what we're gonna be going in with. But most of the time, we have to earn money. And places that don't have an electrical grid typically also do not have very good uh, either cell service or internet service. As a matter of fact, most of the times, uh, internet service might be non-existent in an area where there's not already power poles. So you have to look at other options. You have to make sure that you're not setting yourself up for failure when you do those types of evaluation. If you're a full-time blogger or uh, you know you work remotely doing some sort of medical data entry where you have to have access to the internet that's a, something you're going to have to evaluate as part of the holistic view of of you know the decision to move off grid we have satellite internet and it works for our purposes but it's very expensive it's about twice as expensive um you know as what we had before we moved off grid and it's metered, so not only are we paying twice as much, once we hit 150 gigs in a month, then our, our speed drops to, I think it's, at times we've clocked it at below one megabyte per second. And 2012, when we moved out here, that wasn't a huge deal. Now, because high speed access to the internet is everywhere, Websites are built with 40 cabillion ads built into them or autoplay videos in three different parts of the page and all of these things that isn't really a big issue for someone that's got a high-speed internet connection. And, you know, but try loading Google News when you're at below one megabyte per second, just the homepage. It's 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 just a non-starter. So that's gotta be part of it. And I went off a little bit to talk about that high-speed internet uh, aspect because a lot of people like the idea of going off the grid, don't, real, don't really recognize how often they're using high-speed internet, whether it be through an LTE cellular connection uh, or you know Wi-Fi within your house that's attached to the power pole that you're getting from AT&T or Xfinity or whoever it may be. It's a big adjustment. Our nephew just came and visited with us for about a month, and like I said, we have a 150 gig um, funnel, we'll call it. So once we fill the funnel up of 150 gigs, we're just getting drips out of the bottom. And we didn't kind of sit him down and, and discuss with him, hey, don't be on YouTube 24-7. I mean, he's a normal teenager. That's what they do because, you know, they rarely like going outside, it seems like. Uh, I did get him out and do a little bit of shooting, and he had fun driving the four-wheeler, but most of the time he spent in front of a screen while he was here. And we ran through that 150-gig limit in four days twice. The first, right after he got here, and then the cycle reset. And, four, and the first time we thought, okay, maybe it was updates or something. We didn't really put two and two together. The second month when we hit 100, the 150-gig in the fourth day we we pretty much determined that's exactly what it was and so we all had to suffer through really slow internet for the next 26 days so the the um i went off on a tangent there a little bit but where i wanted to come back to is one of the things you have to evaluate if you have to work if you have to commute to a job 
there are actually some places without grid access that are close enough to industrial centers where you could get land and with maybe with properties already on or with uh, houses already on it for very very cheap and at the same time still be within a reasonable commute of a place that you could get a good full-time job to make the money that you need to support yourself that's got to be another part of it but I'll tell you where we are <coughs> excuse me even land with utility access goes for about a thousand an acre we're also about an hour from the nearest decent like even middle-sized town you know with any sort of population and any sort of uh, good job market so land's really cheap here but if you don't have a job where you travel or can work remotely or can work from the internet uh, not in our case but in other areas of town there is high-speed internet then you're not gonna want to be out here but there's also areas in Dixon County Tennessee which is about an hour from me from where I live where you can get land around 2,000 an acre. You can get off-grid properties for 2,000 an acre, sometimes with a tiny home on there, you know, that's being sold for way less than what it would cost to build a new one and st stick it on there. And you're 30 minutes from Nashville. And you wouldn't think 30 minutes from Nashville, Tennessee, the capital city with all of the amazing job growth that's been happening there over the last decade, that you could find an off-grid property or land for 2,000 an acre. So that's the, the first place. When you can find a property that otherwise would cost two or maybe even as many as four times as much, but because it's not attached to the grid, the number of people that are willing to buy it, the market size uh, is very, very small. And so they have to price it accordingly. I can tell you that our house if it was located seven miles from where it actually is, so if we were seven miles closer to the interstate in a little town called Lobelville, with the amount of property and the amount of uh, square footage that we have with some of the other amenities like pole barn and outbuildings, things like that, our property would have gone for at least twice what we paid for it and probably closer to two and a half, maybe even three times what we paid for it. And that, that made an $8,000 investment in solar very, very easy, a very dis easy decision to make. Now there's also sometimes when you might have a property that does have access to the grid, you may not have a meter on your land, but you're close enough to the grid that you can actually get um, power there. Well, what's it gonna cost to run that power? I always thought, well, hey, if I'm going to be an electrical customer for the next 25, 30 years, is the, you know, do I even need to pay for you to run power up to me? I mean, I'm going to be paying you for the power I use and, and probably paying an access fee every month just to have it on. And I found out we were, I was very wrong. When we were first evaluating the move to this property here in Tennessee, we had an engineer from the local, um, utility company come out and, and quote uh, putting in electrical now we had two options one of them was buried which would have been my preference because we live in the middle of the forest and the other one would have been that we have uh, you know regular poles put up and a meter and all that stuff well we would have had a meter either way but 
the options were wires on poles or wires in Skeljud 40 pipe in the ground. And the pole option was $18,000 plus we would have had to pay uh, someone to cut a 40 foot right away through seven of our neighbor's property. Now, in our area, I think we would have been okay. Community's pretty strong. And I think that we would have gotten the ability, we would have gotten the okay to, to have that right away cut. Uh, but it would not have been cheap. And you know, the, the timber on our area is not very marketable. The hills are pretty steep. And it would have been a job for someone to come in and clear that right away. It would not have been something where we could have sold the timber off of that to pay for it. It would have been, it would have been an additional cost. And then the other option, like I said, would have been burying in Schedule 40 pipe. Now that option was $40,000 and we had to buy the pipe and we had to dig the ditch. So who knows what that would have cost after we bought, you know, three quarters of a mile worth of Schedule 40 pipe. Probably Schedule 80 in a couple spots where we needed to maybe go underneath the driveway and then had, had to have that uh, ditch dug and then filled back in. So for us, not only was the property itself much cheaper because it was off the grid, but even when we looked at getting grid power run to it, neither one of those options, uh, you know, either buried or on poles made any sense at all when we compared it to an $8,000 system, which again, that included all of, that included the conduit for bearing uh, the wire, included the wire, all the connections, the battery bank, charge controller, inverter, which was an inverter charger, the panels themselves, all of the mounting hardware, a combiner box, safety switch, um, a fuse, a shunt, and a couple other little accessories uh, that make it easier for us to manage our system. Oh, and the generator. So, because, uh, you know, when we actually first started, we just did the inverter, charger, and the battery bank with the generator and just used the generator to charge the batteries up until we bought actual panels. <coughs> right now, I was just at a conference last week and I was talking to a guy that runs a solar company based in Cincinnati. And this guy five years ago had six employees. He's got 95 now. And he's telling me that at a wholesale rate, he can now buy solar panels for 38 cents a watt. And that includes shipping. That's huge, people. At 38 cents a watt, you know, even with a, with a reasonable markup, which they're gonna have their markup, you're not gonna get away from that. Uh, but even with an, a reasonable markup, you should be able to get solar panels for 50 cents a watt. And that doesn't mean you go to a website and get them for 50 cents a watt because that's what their price is that they've got posted. It means you put in a little bit of leg legwork, you call around, you let people know that you're shopping their price, you buy in bulk, maybe you even get a group buy put together. And with a group buy, you might be able to get stuff for less than 50 cents a watt. Or if you could find lightly used panels. There was a guy down in Louisiana a couple years ago that was selling two-year-old panels. They were Canadian solar 330-watt panels for 25 cents a watt. Now, they were used. But he offered, with he's an actual electrician, and he offered, if you want to come down, he'll put the meter, he'll put the panel in the sun, 
put the meter on every single panel that you want to buy. <coughs> I tried to get up with him and get a uh, panel spot. I don't know if he sold out or got in trouble or, or what happened, but we were never, never able to make that happen. But the reality is you can get panels cheaply and you can, you can really build your whole system out. You could start out with just solar and just do the things that need electricity during the day with an inverter and then go to bring in the battery bank later. I mean, there's so many ways you could baby step your way through this process to make it easy to, to, to do. I mean, we didn't have, after, you know, we, we put a, a pretty sizable down payment on our place. We didn't have the money when we first moved in to do the whole system. So we did it piece by piece until we got it in and it's worked out just fine for us. Um, anyone can do it. You could do a solar first, you could do a generator, charger, and battery, or generator, inverter, charger, and battery first. Any of those options are reasonable, and, uh, and it makes it a lot easier to take that step. The problem comes in when you take those 50 cent per watt panels, and you've got a company coming in, and now you're paying for their labor, for the design, you're paying for their labor, for doing all the permit work, you're paying for their labor to do the actual installation, you're paying for their electricians to come in and do all of the wiring, you're paying for the access to actually uh, you know, get the right meter in place and, and attach to the system. You, you actually have to pay for that. Now, you do, in, at least in Tennessee, get a rebate for that as soon as the system is generating, but you gotta do that. You know, All of the marketing and profit and overhead cost that go along with running a business, all those things have to be taken care of when you're going with an on-grid solar installation company. Whereas when you go off-grid, you can do a lot of the work yourself. You can direct hire an electrician to do all of the terminal connections if you're not comfortable with that. Um, you could do that work and then just bring in an electrician to inspect everything and sign off on it before you flip the switch. Uh, any of those options are reasonable and they make going off-grid, it's a, again, a little bit harder. I don't want anyone to think that it's some easy life that uh, it's just like living on the grid where you just push a button and things happen. You do have to plan your life out a little bit. There's a little bit of lifestyle design. You know, I think I've mentioned before, when we eat dinner, we scrape the plates, give them a rinse, stick them in the dishwasher, and they sit in the dishwasher until the next day when the sun's out we turn the well pump back, or not the well pump, but the, the jet pump back on, turn the um, dishwasher on, and, and, and we wash our dishes. And, and that's that's a pretty standard practice for us, whereas most people are used to being able to just stick them in there and turn, the, turn everything on and, and not worry about it and get up the next morning and you've got dishes done or even later that night. Um, is that a major inconvenience? Absolutely not, but it is a slight change uh, to that lifestyle design that you know you should be aware of before you, you make that leap well I think I've gone long enough today with this topic folks if you've got questions you can email me at Sean S-H-A-W-N at hackmysolar.com come visit us on our Facebook page you can throw questions up there you can use the blog uh, on the website hackmysolar.com each one of these podcasts has its own blog post to go with it uh, any of those options, um, definitely send me your questions. I'd love to answer them. Thanks for joining me, and we'll see you next time.